0: Now I grew up down an old dirt road In a town you wouldn't know I still live in the sticks where you wouldn't go In a town of 1200 off an old
1: dirt road in a country boy is all I'll ever be Hello everybody and welcome to the Mountain Man Dan Show. Here again tonight with my buddy Nick. Nick, what's going on? Not much, just living the dream. Right on. How's the uh, How's the weather in Tennessee today?
0: It is. It well today. It was seventy degrees and sunny in the middle of February.
1: Today, here in interior Alaska, was the first time ah uh, since first of December we've seen above zero.
0: Oh, that's nice. Time to get they the convertible.
1: Yeah, it got to a full eight degrees above zero today. I bet that was nice. Oh, it was fantastic. I was out there shooting and did a little yard work I've been needing to get done, and it was a good day. Good, good. So,
0: well, uh, what did you carry today? What did I carry today? Actually, I carried my 1939 infield to work today because I'm so disgusted with a few other guns at the moment. <laughs>
1: Right on. i carried something a little different for out, of, out of my norm today as well i uh was sitting there looking at my gun collection this morning and uh my what used to be my favorite i had a uh mid nineties model uh Ruger redhawk that is a five and a half inch blued model forty four magnum yeah and up until I got my twenty nine classic hunter that was my favorite revolver and uh I got to think about it, like, man. I don't think I've shot or carried that gun since I got the Smiths. Like, I, I better go ahead and give it a little love. So I was out shooting it today and had it on the belt. The uh, with this wet, with this nicer weather, we're getting the moose are starting to move around a little bit. And there's one. There's a. There's a uh, about a two year old bull out here behind our place that likes to get a little ornery. So I like to keep a big gun on when I'm outside working around in case he wants to cause trouble.
0: Yeah, probably not a bad idea
1: yeah i was uh and i still like that five and a half inch redhawk but man after getting used to that uh that little pound and a half hair trigger on that model 29 i haven't actually made it but it is light um yeah usually it's
0: <laughs> very light in single action mode
1: oh yeah that that, that trigger on that redhawk is terrible and i used to think the redhawk had a really good trigger um compared to that model 29 it's horrible
0: Man, that's always been my hang-up. You know, I know Rugers are supposed to be really durable and everything, but call me strange, but I like Rugers for their single actions. When it comes to double actions, I've always thought the guns that they build were very bulky and the actions on them very clunky. I know they're really durable. I always thought the Smith & Wessons were a more refined, smoother gun, a little more savelt maybe
1: yeah you know i've never i always liked the ruger just because they are overbuilt and up until i'd got this model 29 i uh i didn't really care for smith and Wesson that much but now that i've gotten to play with some older ones i've got i've got a few older ones now that are all pretty nice guns i like them pretty well
0: yeah smith and Wesson doesn't build a bad gun as long as you're not trying to do you know double pressure loads and stuff in them they'll be all right
1: yeah and i don't I mean, I, I still run my barrel loads and stuff through my model 29, but I don't, I don't run it. Like when I had my Red Hawk, it was, it was red hot every single round. I don't run my Smith and Wessons like that. You know, I, I carry when I'm out, when I'm out in the woods, I'll carry my barrel loads in it. But the rest of the time I'm shooting, oh, like my, uh, my plinking load right now is a 240 grain semi-wad cutter over a couple grains of, uh, actually believe it or not, I'm using, um, alcan number seven because i came into about 10 pounds of it i'm using it up Yeah, it's running like right around a thousand foot per second with a 240 grain bullet so yeah, it's, it's a, really good po-
0: a hot special then more like a elmer keith style load or a skeeter skeleton 44 special load
1: yeah it's you no know, it's a nice mild mild recoil you know the uh that alcan number seven it's, it, i wish they still made that powder it's clean burning it's not uh, I really like those old Alcan powders. And I came into about 10 pounds of Alcan number seven. So I've been burning it up into 44 Magnum since I shoot. Oh, well, I got 1,044 Mag bullets and two weeks ago. And I'm about halfway through them already. I shoot a lot of 44 Mag.
0: Yeah. Uh, I do want to clear one thing up. I've had like three people message me about that Taurus Model 65. And I want to put it on the record that, yes, that gun is a piece of shit. <laughs> it, uh, it did not shoot out of time when I first bought it, but it took a little under 200 rounds of full house magnums to get it to where it had slow timing and double action because I typically don't ever shoot guns like that in single action. I always shoot them in double action. And uh, what I have come to the conclusion of as to why it had its issues is – I think it all comes down to metallurgy with those guns. It could have been perfectly fitted, and the timing could have been perfect when it went in the box when it left the factory. But I think the cylinder hand and everything is just a very soft metal. It's not heat-treated properly. It, you know, I was checking the timing today after I cleaned it and everything, and it's now it's slow in single action and double action. So I think that – small amount of magnums i put in it was actually enough to hurt it and i know everybody says with the k-frame size guns that you know you're supposed to shoot 38s in it and carry it with that that's bullshit if if it says 357 magnum on the barrel in my opinion if it won't shoot 357 magnums it's pretty damn useless because at that point i'd rather just have a model 10 or a model 15 that's a far better shooting gun if i was stuck to just 38 specials but i'll get off my soapbox now but i just wanted to clear that up uh, I did not do, do that on purpose. I did not sabotage that gun. It genuinely went out of time from shooting it. So there it is.
1: Yeah, I think I was laughing over here a little bit because you were talking about your $350 Python killer, and uh, so far the Python seems to be having a little better record. You know, I've got quite a few. I do the revolvers. Python
0: only last 50 rounds. This one lasted 200, so I mean, you know. Still killed it.
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna preach on the Python <laughs> too much. You know, I'm. I really hope it does well for Colt, but I've seen enough reports. Um, I'm not gonna go get too excited about it right away. But well, you, know, you, I, and I got, you and i
0: you both. I mean, but the thing. Me being a Smith and Wesson guy, I have a lot of friends that are hardcore, hardcore Colt guys, and so typically we've always given each other crap about it. You know, pythons are fine guns, but the old ones. I mean, anyone will tell you, the old ones are a bit fragile. They are they are a beautiful, well-fitted piece of machinery, but it doesn't take much to uh, wear them out because they're already yeah, so you, finely fit.
1: Yeah, if you go on my Facebook page, I'll share every link I find about one of the new pythons being broken or somebody talking crap about them. And the only reason I do that on my personal page is because I have Several friends who are really excited about it, and I'm just giving them a hard time. Um, legitimately, I do hope that it works out for Colt and it ends up being a good gun for him because I think it is. It's nice to see some more revolvers coming out on the market because up until a couple you know, up until a couple years ago, when Colt started coming out and uh, Kimber brought out their revolver, revolvers were kind of a dying breed. You know, Ruger had a couple models that they still made. Smith and Wesson had a couple models they still made, and uh, they weren't really seeing anything new. And it's really nice to see some new stuff back on the market again.
0: Well, you know, if you wanted to thank anyone for the resurgence and renaissance of the revolver, by far, uh, Clint Smith was probably one of the most instrumental people in that. You know, when he started in the late 90s doing the Thunder Ranch series guns, you know, he convinced Smith & Wesson to come back out with the Model Twenty One Forty Four Special. You know, it's a copy of the old triple lock type gun the model twenty two forty five ACP and then you know eventually his masterpiece, which in my opinion is if you have the money and you want to carry a revolver, it's genuinely the best carry revolver made, the 325 Thunder Ranch, the all scandium light railed 45 auto in frame. It it's it was designed by a man who carries and shoots revolvers for serious purposes. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on there.
1: I would, I would like to see that Thunder Ranch style, you know, that classic with the, with the half moon front sight and all that good I stuff. I would love to see a three inch, fixed sight with the round front sight and forty four Magnum.
0: Yes, yes, I, I'm all in, and throw us yeah. a bone over here for the weirdos like me, man. Give us a forty one Magnum like that, but yeah, forty four <laughs> all the way all the way or even maybe yeah, a seven shot 327 you know that would be know, cool would, a 40
1: a 45 colt would be cool as well but to me a 45 acp goes in a 1911 that's just if i, I love 45 acp revolvers but if i'm going to carry a 45 acp i'm going to carry a 1911 now you know it's interesting you mentioned that when you
0: see clint smith carrying a 325 Typically, and maybe he does carry them with 45 auto moon clips, but typically I'd always see him using 45 auto rim in it and he has speed loaders with 45 auto rim in them. So I'm wondering if he's doing it from the uh, approach that the auto rim being a shorter case extracts more reliably than a 45 Colt perhaps because it's shorter
1: that's a that's a possibility. I mean, those' little short stubby case. you know if if you're handloading the forty five auto rim and a revolver like that, you can get some pretty decent uh, results out of it. that's a that's an interesting theory. and it, uh, you may be onto something there with that. Those short cases will fall right out during extraction,
0: yeah, and he reloads, and I you know he doesn't really list much info about his ammunition, but from what I can tell what I've seen in pictures, it appears to me like his auto rims all a Keith style bullet running about a thousand feet per second. Cause when he shoots guns, Glenn Smith doesn't shoot puddle loads. He gets out and trains with real ammunition in his guns, his Magnums, he shoots Magnums in them. You know, he's all about it.
1: Yeah. That's what, you know, that's the way I am. If, if, if a gun says 44 Magnum on it, I shoot 44 Magnums out. If I want a 44 special, I'll go buy a 44 special.
0: So yeah, that, so for the viewers, the replacement for the model 65 Taurus, Today, I just ordered a 2.75-inch uh, Model 66-8 Combat Magnum. And I've had a few people tell me, well, it's a K-frame. You, you should only shoot 38s out of it. Apparently, Smith & Wesson's redesigned them with, you know, a ball D10 on the crane and the sleeved barrel. And it has the same thickness forcing cone as an in-frame. They say, Smith & Wesson will tell you that it is okay for a steady die to 357s. I would not have bought it. Had it uh you know not been okay for that because to me it's pointless to have a 357 and to only shoot 38s in it and carry it with 357s that's not even relevant for training a 38 and a 357 shoot nothing alike when it comes to recoil that's about as far apart as it gets
1: yeah that's um I I'm curious what Smith and Wesson's opinion versus like my opinion of a steady diet is because are they talking about the average shooter steady diet who's going to bring out their 357 to the range once or twice a year and run a box of ammo through it or are they talking about the guys you know that go out and shoot you know 200 rounds in a sitting because they're practicing hip shots and you know quick draw and stuff like that where we actually you know put several thousand rounds a year through our guns well if we take Smith and Wesson out
0: of the equation for a moment, Jerry Mikulik is someone I really admire and respect. I'm not really much in the competition shooting, but as a person, he's he's a very honest, um, good guy. You know, he's not going to just you know spew bullshit online. And when he was reviewing the new Model 19, which you know is the same gun as a Model 66, but blue, but the new 19 Classic Series, he's going over all the revisions. And he himself said that you could literally shoot. All the 357 Magnums you would ever want to shoot through the gun until you couldn't afford them anymore. So I don't think yeah. he exaggerated when he said that. Um, you know, you got to think too, the Model 69, I know you managed to blow one up, but if they've managed yeah. to get the lawyers to where they don't get involved by chambering one in 44 Magnum, I think in 357 it'll probably be okay. And the thing with me, I typically don't shoot. 125 grain 357s. Those are known as the gun breakers. Those are the ones that flame cut the top strap and really beat the hell out of a forcing gun. Typically, I always shoot 158 grain 357 magnums, and I usually carry them with a 158 grain like FBI load in a 357 magnum format.
1: Right. See, I think it's fair to mention that I did not blow up a Model 69. I just stretched it out beyond use.
0: Yeah, I did that with a v- inner arms Virginian dragoon, but that's a story for another day.
1: Yeah, I um, that model sixty nine I had, um, I was shooting excessively. Um, it wasn't any handload at that time. I wasn't handloading uh, because of work. Um, I had the it was a four inch model that I picked up. And I did buy that gun used, but it was supposedly new in the box. Um, um, and it looked like it was new in the box. It looked on fired when I got it. And I ran all factory ammo through it, but they were all 300 grain, you know, grizzly type, you know, loads. And yeah, it, it, it did. It, it ended up stretching out to where it was no longer reliable. But it's hard to say if it would have been fine with standard 240 grain 44 mag you know over a longer period of time it may have been but you know like you've
0: mentioned a lot to me and and i agree with it the mall 69 to me is a wonderfully made very conveniently sized carryable 44 special that just so happens can can shoot 44 magnums too if you wish to do that
1: yeah, you know, and when I, when I bought this Taurus, I got this Taurus Tracker 44 Magnum. That was exactly the way I saw that gun. It was, it's a 44 special, that takes 44 Magnums. And then I started shooting it. It's like, well, all, all the ammo I have right now is heavy, you know, hand load 44 Magnum. So I'm going to go ahead and start shooting it. And then after a while, it's like, oh, let's see if I can break it. And then after a while, like, oh, this gun's holding up pretty well. And then, you know, after a few thousand rounds of steady heavy 44 Magnums, I back off, you know, and I carry that gun with a, that's just a carry gun. Now I carry it with a 210 grain spear gold dot at 1100 foot per second. It's a pretty mild 44 mag load.
0: That's pretty much a really hot 44 special if it's 1100 grains, which is no slouch. I mean, Elmer you Keith know, just, killed damn near everything with a 44 special, everything from mountain goats to bears and elk and yeah, everything. So. else.
1: When I carry that gun, um, the way I carry that one is the first two rounds are 210 grain spirit gold dots. I'm in the, th- the, the, the last three rounds are 300 grain bear loads. But I very, you know, shooting around the yard and stuff, shooting rabbits and whatever else, I very rarely make it into those last three shells before, it, before I end up reloading the first two chambers. Yeah, so it is a five shot, right? yeah it's a five shot
0: yeah you know those have gotten over to where uh i've been seeing them popping up as a Talo exclusive and i've almost considered picking one up because you've had such good luck with yours uh i guess you're lucky and my friend lewis has a 627 Trager 357 that's perfect i guess i'm the one that always gets stuck with the lemons
1: <laughs> yeah this one here uh this one is a Talo exclusive it's the two and a half inch uh non-ported believe it or not every other tracker 44 i've seen has been ported and this one isn't so it, it, it is a Taylor exclusive model
0: yeah I, I like the size of that gun though it's like a k-frame on steroids
1: it's it's a little heavier belt than the uh, than the smith and wesson model 69 in my opinion it's a, it's a little heavier i really like it you know um as a, as a matter of fact i've had so much i've i've enjoyed this one so much that if i did blow it up all of a sudden it managed to finally wear it out i probably would go buy another one and just feed it a, you know a steady diet of 44 special type load this one i ran a lot of heavy 44 mag loads through just because i wanted to see what it was going to take to to break it and after a few thousand miles, i was like oh yeah this gun's passed the test and now it's back to what i originally bought it for which is 44 special i don't shoot right. actual 44 specials out of it but i shoot light 44 magnums out of it well Here in the future, we're going to be doing a lot more stuff on the .429 uh,
0: bullets, you know, because you're you're in all that. And I bought the Model 66 with the intention that I was going to get two more guns, which I've already ordered. So I'm going to get a Super Blackhawk. We're probably going to go with a a 5.5-inch barrel 44 Magnum in that format. And I'm going to get a Blackhawk 41 Magnum just because, well because it's cool but uh so you know i have a press and everything and i'm starting to collect you know little odds and ends stuff so really all i'm lacking now is um uh, dyes getting brass and uh start figuring out figuring out what bullets i want to use you know collecting powder and all that so here and within the next three to four weeks we'll start doing some stuff on reloading i was going to start small and start with like some mild 44 special stuff and then we can start working our way up to some monster magnum I figured a super blackhawk would be the perfect platform to do that with
1: yeah so we'll yeah I mean, that
0: in the very near future
1: yeah and the great thing is that if you start you know if you start with 44 magnum or 38 special or anything that i shoot quite a bit of i can help you know i can give you some of the loads that i know work well that are better safe loads. you know i can tell you hey go buy this powder start here use just pull up this powder and give you you know, give you my, my, some of my loads right. and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so that gives, we got three, three topics of discussion today that, uh, we've managed to come up with. So let's go ahead and start moving into that. Uh, you're, uh, you just mentioned that five and a half inch, uh, 44 Magnum you're, you're ordering. And I think right. that, uh, that sums up the, uh, I ended up going into the first topic pretty well, barrel lengths on single action revolvers. Um, And I get asked this quite a bit. Um, What do I feel is the best barrel length for a, you know, 44 Magnum, 45 Colt? Generally when people ask me that, they're talking about Ruger Ruger Blackhawks, but I do get asked about double actions quite a bit as well. And I have always been a fan of a five and a half inch barrel on a single action revolver. Um, The reason for this being... um, Ruger is pretty well known for their seven and a half inch model. and everybody's, you know, I, I believe Skeeter used seven and a half inch barrels a lot. And, uh, there's a lot of famous people that shoot the seven and a half. So I find them to be a little bit cumbersome. My dad, my dad shoots for, uh, has several seven and a half inch, 44 mags, uh, 45 Colts and everything else. I, uh, six inches about my max on a, on a single action Blackhawk sized gun. Because after that, you're, you know, you're bringing your arm, out. you got to bring your hand up into your armpit to get the thing out of a holster. And it's not something I actually carry. You know, if you're sitting in a tree stand or you're just shooting at the range, they're fine. But as an actual gun that you're actually going to carry when, you know, when it comes right down to the deck, it you know, get down and dirty and you got to, you know, you're out in bear country or whatever. Um, a five inch or a five and a half inch gun just carries a lot better and they draw really nice. And, you know, you're not, you are going to gain a little bit ballistically going to a seven and a half inch barrel over say a six inch. But it's not, it's not like going from a two inch to a five inch. It's not quite that drastic of a change because you're still losing so much out of a, out of the out of cylinder gap.
0: Yeah. Uh, and and I think used- it's a specialty thing too. Like for a seven and a half, like if I was going to go to Africa and hunt Eland with a 44 Magnum, then yeah, I'll take the seven and a half inch. But yeah, and if
1: you're, yeah, if you're using it just to hunt, you know, if you, if you use your 44 Magnum, your single action revolver, you know, you sit, you know, you're sitting in a, in a tree stand shooting deer or a black bear, you're sitting over bait down in Texas shooting hogs or something. The seven and a half inch gun barrel, you no, know, they're great because, you know, you, you, you carry it out to the stand in the holster, I and mean, you unholster it and you set it on the stand or the bench or on your lap or whatever. But as a working gun, I, I just, they're a little bit too long for you know, in and out of the holster. Like for me, you know, I'm around, I'm working around the, around the house and I'll be doing yeah. this or doing that. And they're like, oh, that thump needs an extra bullet hole in it. And I'll pull out and shoot, you know, and just seven and a half inch guns for in and out of the holster all day and actually needing to get out of the holster in a hurry are just a right. little bit cumbersome for me. So um, I've always liked on the old single action, like, you know, 73 Colt clones. I've always liked a five and a half inch barrel. I feel that's about perfect. You know, uh, I mean, the same thing on double actions. You know, I own two large frame double action 44 mags one's a five inch one's a five and a half inch and they're they are perfect that's just a perfect length six inch right. six inches about my max for, yeah, uh, for a holster gun and,
0: and, you know for some of our viewers that live in the south I'll, I'll use the other terminology seven and a half inch is a little bit big for a belt gun as we would call it um yeah i i use a holster gun yeah,
1: yeah. I, I use the term holster gun, you know, something that you carry on you all the time, but you still use, you know, I overheat like four inch barrels, you know, Skeeter likes five inch barrels. Uh, I like between a five and a six. It just, it depends, you know, six in inch, six inches about my max for a holster gun. That's something I'm actually going to use all the time. Like if, if I was sitting in a tree stand looking after a bear, I've got a Ruger at seven and a half inch Blackhawk 45 Colt. That would, that would be great for that. But guess what you never hear me talk about that gun because i don't shoot it that much because it's a pain in the butt to carry around in a holster all day and pull out and shoot at stuff
0: yeah the only guy the only professional i can think of that carried a six inch gun was the late great denny reichard which we actually lost in 2019 which is a damn shame but uh he was a street cop and then he also owned sam Burr gun ranch did some really good work on double action revolvers but when he was a police officer on duty and after, you know, his everyday carry gun was a six inch model 629 44 Magnum loaded with full house Magnum ammunition. This is our kind of guy, obviously. And yeah. uh, that was his tree gun, but he actually, you can look on his website. He may still have it at Sandberg gun Ranch. but uh, he designed his own holster for that gun. It was an outside the waistband holster, but it rode really high with about 10 to 15 degrees of forward cant. And he was kind of a taller guy, I guess. So it worked out to where it actually rode the gun up high enough to where, you know, it wasn't just hanging down at his side, but still not so high that, you know, you're reaching all the way up in your armpit to get it to draw. And the whole front of the holster halfway down, like right below the cylinder was all cut out to where it cleared leather very quick. So he, he had figured yeah. out a way to make it work, you know.
1: When I carry a long, um, I I tried a longer barrel like that for a while, and something I found that actually worked pretty decently carrying a seven and a half inch single action is a cross jaw. You know, if you have a cross jaw holster that's set almost horizontal, Absolutely. uh, you know, right, yeah. about, right, you know. That actually works pretty good for a long barrel, but they're hard to hide that way. You know, if you wanna oh, you know, just say, you know, I I go into the store all the time with my five inch Smith and Wesson model twenty nine <laughs> on, and I just throw my jacket on and I can hide it easy like that, even on the outside the waistband holster. A uh, cross draw sticks out enough that it it, it it's noticeable. Um,
0: so, like when you say cross draw, we're talking like Galco Kodiak's, uh simply rugged chesty pullers, you know, stuff like that.
1: The, the t- imagine the simp- Imagine the chesty puller, set down, right on your. So like, I'll have, to, I'll have to try to get some pictures. But yeah, like I like the butt of the gun to be almost that like like at button of my jeans.
0: Yeah, that's like a Galco Cody, right? It kind yeah. yeah. And then, you know,
1: and then I, I, I said I'm like almost almost, almost a
0: bandolier, but cross draw.
1: Yeah, i then almost like I said almost horizontal, not quite horizontal. I like a little bit of downward tilt on the barrel but not as much like the simply Ruggeds, uh their sourdough pancakes they don't offer enough slant like they have their cross draw mode on those holsters with the third lower notch and they don't offer quite enough slant for me to really consider them to be a good cross jaw holster so something a little more than that but yeah i like the gun almost in front like not on a side i like it almost in front if i'm going to carry a long barrel uh, gun cross jaw, i like that almost the butt of the gun almost at the jeans, you know, the of my you know the, the button on my jeans. Yeah, that makes sense. Um so here's here's my rule of thumb. Um, small frame, medium frame, and large frame revolvers. And uh we you can break that up however however you like. You know, for me when I think small frame, I'm thinking Smith and Wesson J frame, Ruger S P one oh one sized guns. No medium see all frame ropes. Yeah. Yeah, I meant a medium frame gun would be like a K-frame uh, GP100 Security 6. You know, that size gun. And then a large frame would be any of like the Model 29, Ruger Red Hawk, the big single actions, you know, the Ruger Bisley's and the Super Blackhawks, the Blackhawks, any of the old the Colt, Colt clones. Those are all large yeah. frame guns. And the Colt so double
0: action 41 frame and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, so here's my rule of thumb on barrel length. Small frame guns, and I go plus or minus uh, an inch, but three inch on a small frame gun, four inch on a medium frame gun, and five inch on a large frame gun. That's what I played with. That's what I personally like on, on my guns, three inch, four inch, five inch, depending on the frame size. Right. You know, and I've got, like, I've got a couple of two, and I could, you know, you could go plus or minus a little bit of those numbers. You know, I've got a five and a half inch Black hawk I really like. I've got a five and a half inch Red hawk I really like. I've got a two and a half inch Taurus tracker. You know, that's a little shorter, but I like it. You know, it, it's a little smaller. That's a little bigger than a small frame gun, but I still like it pretty well. You know, I like, like, uh I've got a, or I had, it for a while, I had a three inch J frame 38 special. I really like that gun that's 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 a good rule of thumb to me three inch four inch five inch depending on the frame size
0: yeah you know one of my dream guns has always been a smith and wesson 649 you know the bodyguard humpback with a three inch barrel 357 right. always wanted one just because they're cool as shit but yeah, they're about impossible to find
1: yeah man. My, my dad when i was a kid my dad had a uh Ruger Super Blackhawk with a 10 and a half inch barrel on it. And he actually Ooh. carried the thing on it he carried it on a sling.
0: Wow. That's a big boy. That's practically a carbine at that point.
1: Yeah, now he carried it. He, so he actually carried it on a sling, just like you would a rifle. With then I he'd carry it. Sometimes he'd carry it butt forward and sometimes you know behind his shoulder and sometimes in front of his shoulder but he pretty much carried it with the butt right up in his armpit on the sling with the barrel pointed down. Interesting. So, but um, yeah, so we'll go ahead and move on. So this is actually, uh, 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 I got a message from a listener um, saying that on the last episode, I talked about when we did our little carry segment there, I talked about carrying a 1911 because I was indoors where it was warm and wasn't worried about it freezing up. And uh, he said, he'd like to hear a little bit more about um, about the you know, guns freezing up and the effects of how firearms work in the cold. So I thought we'd touch on that just a little bit. Nick, what's the coldest you've ever seen?
0: Uh, here in Tennessee, probably negative twelve, and that's like record.
1: Okay, so up here in Alaska, it's not like I said. It, today was the first day in almost two months, maybe even over two months, that it has been above zero. Um, this is this has been a long, rough winter. It's been. 20 below or colder most of this winter. So, um, have you ever, ever you're, you're a mechanic. Um, and this should be a reference everybody should get. Have you ever uh, messed with oil when it's that cold?
0: Oh, it's super thick. I mean, it, for instance, the uh, engines I build the most, I do a lot of Ford small blocks. And unlike Chevrolet's and Mopart, they actually have a rod that goes into the bottom of the distributor shaft down to the oil pump when you pull the distributor the shaft stays in the block and it sticks in the oil pump it's a small metal rod like a little drive shaft and with a ford small block if you were to put a high volume oil pump in them they're really bad about those rods breaking they also break in super cold weather when the oil pressure spikes and causes them to twist like a paper clip so oil does get very thick um And I have noticed cars from a colder climate will typically die of oil-related failure more often than ones in a warmer climate. So, you know, from what I've seen, if I was going to move to Alaska, I would probably carry a 51 Navy with very moist powder in the chambers, heavily oiled and greased. That way I can go (laughs) ahead and get murdered by a bear.
1: Yeah. um, (laughs) Up here during the winter when it's 40 below, uh, I'm. I am not joking when, when I say 1540. You know, we work. I work around diesels a lot, so I'm, i I uh, I work with 1540 a lot. Um, yeah, 1540, 1540 for 40, Yeah, 1540 flows like molasses when it's 40 below. Uh, oh, no, yeah. joke. Um, so now generally gun oils are a lot thinner, but they still tend to gum up when it's cold like that. And especially a gun that has to be well oiled like a 1911, they just, they, they don't work very good when it's, when it's 40 below, you know, like, you know, 1911, you carry it inside your coat or something like that and they can stay warm and they will work, but I don't like the chance that I can tell you, if we had a little more time, I could tell you stories, uh, multiple stories, but I'll tell you one, Um, when I was a kid. Uh, we pretty much didn't, if we didn't grow it in the garden or we didn't shoot it, we didn't need it. Um, and this particular year I had to have been about 15, 14 or 15. Um, I was just starting to drive on my own. Um, not really didn't have, my. I had a learner's permit, but I wasn't supposed to be driving what I was. And, um, my dad, my dad was a timber faller, so he, he broke his neck. So there was, he'd go through bad silver. Sometimes he couldn't get out of bed for six months at a time. And this was one of those bad spells, and he had uh he'd missed moose hunting season. He didn't get a moose. I would got a moose, but he didn't, so we were running out of meat. You know, there was nine kids in our family. A moose doesn't last that long, um, and it was the last couple of weeks of caribou season, so I went out to try to go get a caribou. I took the snow machine I took off, and I spent two days up at that over at Top of the World. I finally found an old cow caribou, you know, and I couldn't get within about 400, 500 yards of her. And I had a Remington Model 700 Safari Grade, just like my 458 I got right now in 375 JRS. And I just got the rifle, and I hadn't taken the time to winterize it yet. And yes, we winterize our guns up here. Um, and riding around on the snow machine in 30 below weather, when I went to go take the shot at that caribou, it was a cow about a 450 yard shot. You'd pull the trigger, and there would be a, about a three second delay. And then the firing pin, you finally hear just a faint click and it would just barely leave a dent on the firing pin or I mean on the, on the primer. And I, I could never get, I couldn't get that rifle to go off. I completely missed out on the last day of caribou season and, uh, couldn't get, never got a shot off because the, the, the firing pin was moving so slow on that gun. Um, and I've had that kind of stuff happen a, a few times, uh, you no know, playing as the only time it's ever happened to me out hunting, um, but I've had it happen a lot, you know, just playing around with guns in the yard and stuff. So my dad and something I, I do on my bolt actions, we can take them apart and when I say winterize them, we completely degrease everything and we use a, um, like a molly graphite, you know, a dry lube in there just to give a little you know, help with the friction.
0: Yeah, I'd say I'd almost just put a little graphite on the locking lugs and leave everything. If it's an yeah. all stainless internal rifle like my Savage 116 Alaskan, I'd leave it bone dry. Hell, it's so damn cold, everything's contracted so yeah. much. And and I, I, leave,
1: I leave a lot of my guns bone dry. Um, but yeah, so, uh, the graphite, but 1911s don't work very good with graphite. I've tried it, um, and they just don't seem to work very well. They, uh, they 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 just seem to hang up a little bit. So my nineteen eleven, I run them well oiled, and just my opinion is that well, the guns that have to be oiled don't work good in the cold. I don't I don't usually generally use auto-loaders of any kind in the cold. Um, I like the nineteen
0: eleven especially because you have an aluminum frame gun, so you know the yep. aluminum frame and the steel slide will expand and contract at different rates, which probably just absolutely wrecks havoc on reliability when you're talking. You know, here where I am, it wouldn't make a damn bit of difference. But as cold as it gets there, that has to make a difference.
1: Yeah, I've never, I've been curious for a while to leave that gun outside overnight at forty below and try it the next day. Um, I haven't yet, and I, I, I need to. But yeah, the general rule: guns that like to be well oiled, I don't use in the cold. You know, all my guns, but I use in the cold are guns that can that will work dry. Bolt action rifles and revolvers because even though a little bit of oil or graphite goes a long way in those they can run dry so they don't need to be oiled
0: well like what revolvers masada eb used to say they really don't need oil inside them it's unnecessary
1: yeah i i put a little bit of dry graphite on some of the moving parts you know like pins and that kind of stuff in my revolvers but yeah i pretty much run them dry and yeah, my bolt guns. the first thing i do when i buy a new bolt gun is strip it down degrease it put a little bit of dry graphite on the firing pin and the internals on the bolts and put it back together and leave it.
0: You know, I'm um, actually a ballastal guy with revolvers. I hose them all over you know, when I clean them, so a little bit gets in the action. But the ballastal tends to stay fairly dry, almost like rim oil, so it's not super invasive.
1: There's, um, there's a few oils on the market. That claim may work down really well in the cold. And there's one I've been playing with a little, and I haven't run it super cold yet. But there's a couple that I've been playing with that are uh, modern synthetic oils that claim they'll work down to fifty below, sixty below, seventy below, and they seem to be a little better than traditional gun oils. But without doing some serious wintertime testing with them, I wouldn't hundred percent trust me. Right. Um, but I, have been running, I've been running one for a while, um, by Liberty lubricants and it, it seems like that's what I put in my lever guns and that kind of stuff. I like, I like my lever guns to be wet. Like this model 20, uh, this model 80, uh, I'm sorry, model 94 Marlin. I just got it. I took all the, when I got it, it was greasy. I took all the grease out and I've lived, lived it up with that Liberty lubricant synthetic. And I've been out here shooting at twenty, thirty below, and I it's been fine so far. But I also haven't let it sit outside overnight yet. A lot of times, if you won't notice problems until the gets, you know, the whole temperature of the gun drops down to be that cold.
0: Now, one recommendation I could make, you know, uh, synthetic motor oil actually works pretty good on a lot of guns. And uh, yeah. you know, with the technology of hybrids and stuff now, an oil that I've seen coming around is a 0w15 that's coming in a lot of the new hybrids 0w15 yeah. so if you could get you like a mobile one full synthetic 0w15 it, around here when it's like 15 20 degrees i've poured some out just to see what it's like and it pours like water when it's 20 degrees so i uh, you know that might be something to look into for it's something that has to have oil that might be the Solution to your 1911 issue, perhaps.
1: Yeah, and see, I've been running that Liberty, that Liberty oil in my 1911. And it, like I said, I've gone out and, and carried it and shot it some in the cold, but like that, I haven't just set the gun out on the deck at 40 below and left it overnight to see what would happen. But as a general rule, um, as a kid growing up up here before any of these synthetic oils existed, um, or maybe they did, and I just didn't know about it. My dad was a tight one. He didn't buy things. He had, you know, what he did worked. Um, I just haven't tested them enough to really have faith in them yet. So I still do what I've always done. I I use dry guns or, um, you know, wet guns. I, mean, I call it a wet gun. You know, guns that like to be well oiled. You know, 1911s, lever actions, that kind of stuff. I I just try to save those for when it's a little warmer. I like, yeah, I, I use both. Revolvers in the cold,
0: right? Or single shots, falling blocks, you know, that that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, things that things that can run dry you know like that a little bit of a little bit of graphite goes a long way in helping out too but i'm um, so that, yeah that's a good question you know it's definitely um like like nick said you know the coldest he's ever seen is barely below zero and it's a huge difference in how things react up here you know and nick was mentioning the uh synthetic oils i, I run all synthetic oils in my pickup and my wife's car and everything because it does it does it does substantially better. Uh, Uh, And the cold doesn't thicken up nearly as much as conventional oils do. Yeah, I run
0: 1540 in in all my race cars. And if it gets below, say, 20 degrees, I will roll the, uh, the the kerosene heater out there and let it blow on the oil pan for about 10 or 15 minutes to get some temp in it before I even attempt to crank it so it's not so hard on the oil pump.
1: When I was a when I was a kid, we had for a while, we had a uh, Volkswagen rabbit diesel. Those are cool. Um yeah, it was a cool little car. I kind of missed that car. It was it was a cool car. But um yeah, it ran fifteen forty oil on it. And I'm I I kid you not that my dad, when we whenever we turned the car off in the winter, he would drain the oil out and put it in jugs behind the wood stove. So that way it would start again because the oil wouldn't be too thick. You'd take out the warm oil and pour it in there.
0: Wow. It's an awful lot of trouble to go through to start a damn car
1: yeah no that, that that's the only one we ever did that to but yeah when, whenever we'd pull him in the driveway at the end of the day we'd, he'd pull it up on these ranges he'd park it up on the ramps crawl underneath pour the oil out put it in the jugs put it behind the wood stove and the next time we needed to start the car go put the oil back in it and, and uh, start up and we'd go
0: wow take taking so, for granted how easy it is to live here
1: yeah, you know, here, I just use a block heater on our, we got a block heater and oil pan heater on our, but I don't have a d- diesel, you know, everything we have is gas motors, and they, they, they tend to start a little easier in the cold. So that leads, I believe that covers that one up, you know, if, uh, if anybody would like some further discussion about that, you know, or uh, maybe some testing on those lubricants, you know, if you have, hey, how does this lube work in the cold, let me know, I'll, uh, I'm always more than happy to test gun products. Um, that leads into our third topic. Uh personal opinions on the 41 versus 44 Magnum. Nick, you're a 41 guy. You can go ahead and start here.
0: Uh what, the 41 Magnum? Cause it's like wonderful. I mean, they for me it's nostalgia. It, it's the whole Bill Jordan era, you know, supposed to be the ideal law enforcement cartridge, what it ended up being was a hellacious cartridge you know they said it was going to be less recoil than a 44 magnum but it really isn't by much and back then you had two loads you had your 180 grain uh police load which was you know a a mild 1200 foot per second load and then you had you know the ass stomping 210 grain 1400 plus feet a second load you know that was considered a hunting load and uh but, yeah, when Bill Jordan, you know, helped design that cartridge, it was supposed to be that ideal law enforcement cartridge. You have to remember, though, Bill Jordan was a border patrolman. So that that's a different sort of uh, type of law enforcement than walking a beat. 41 Magnum made a lot of sense for that. You know, when you're talking a four or five or six-inch in frame, uh, you know, 41 Magnum reaches out and it's super flat shooting. So, you know, when you have – people coming across the border that are armed and you're engaging people with a handgun, you know, 125 yards, it makes a lot of sense. Now, if you're in Brooklyn or LA or somewhere like that, it's probably not ideal considering it'll go through a Volkswagen and kill a Kia in the next County. So, you know, you're probably better served with a 357 Magnum. Now for me, I will tell you a 44 Magnum is probably a better cartridge for Everything you know, it's a lot more versatile. But if you just absolutely want to have a very interesting, cool, and you like something that's very fast, a lot of feet per second, it is hard to beat a forty-one Magnum. If you just want something obscure, Um, and it's not completely useless, it it makes a fabulous whitetail cartridge. It's good for most dangerous game. I would not hesitate with, with a quality revolver. I would not hesitate to uh, take grizzly moose or anything like that with a forty-one mag with the proper load. You know, I wouldn't want to put, you know, pud loads in it. But you know, if you get something good from buffalo bore, you're hand loading a good stout, hard cast, two hundred and ten grain bullet. Yeah, you can push them pretty fast. You know, about sixteen hundred feet a second out of a six and a half inch revolver. So, it, but it, it is a yeah, reloader's got, delight. If you're looking for something to shoot off-the-shelf ammo out of. You need to buy a forty-four because even you, Daniel. If you'll go look, forty-one magnum rarely comes in a box of fifty anymore. It's typically always a box of twenty. You know, it's a hundred gun <laughs> now.
1: Yeah. So here's you know the forty-four, the forty-one magnums. I'm not going to say it's a, it, it is a good round. I'm, I will say that um, I prefer the forty-four magnum. And everybody knows me. Everybody knows I'm a forty-four mag guy. Um, just because anything the 44 – and it's, this is this is me saying this. Um, anything the forty four, anything the forty one Magnum can do, the forty four Magnum will do better. Guess what? The four I got ballistics through the forty one Magnum right here. It'll shoot a two hundred and forty grain bullet at twelve hundred and fifty foot per second. Well, guess what? I can do that with forty four Magnum with half the recoil, you know, half the muzzle blast because uh, lower. I can do it at lower pressure. Um, there is um, one thing I, the forty one
0: will do better, in my opinion. If you run a two hundred and ten grain bullet at around fifteen hundred to sixteen hundred feet per second, and I'll put it up against things other than a forty four, any other big magnum cartridge, there are not a lot out there that will shoot as flat and far as that forty one will.
1: Now you you might have something there, but yeah, I I, I like the forty four. I, I shoot heavy bullets, you know. I'm gonna. The lightest bullet I shoot in my 44 Magnums is a 240 grain. And up until I got this Marlin, I didn't even shoot those. I shot 270 and 300 grain bullets. So I like I like big boards. I like heavy bullets. I, I like the 44 Magnum because of that. And like Nick was saying, it is hard to find ammo for the 41 Magnum. I uh, I have never bought a piece of 44 Magnum brass in my life. I, I go to the ranges. I scrounge brass. You know, I'm a scavenger, uh, range chicken as you have it. Um, as they call us it, in the USPSA world, um, I've got a bucket and a half—not joking. I've got a bucket and a half of 44 mag brass. I have never bought a piece of 44 mag brass in my life. Um, I have bought some factory ammo, but that's you know a few boxes here and there. I've got an, an entire lifetime of picking. I've got maybe thirty pieces of 41 Magnum.
0: Well, I can offer a solution. For the viewers that want to own a 41 Magnum because it's cool, but they want the practicality of a 44 Magnum, there is a gun you can buy. It's called buying two guns. So buy you a Ruger Blackhawk and 41 Magnum, play with it and shoot it a little bit. And then when you really want to go shoot a lot of rounds and use a gun for whatever own a 44 Magnum too, whether it's a Model 29 or Redhawk, whatever. The cool thing about the Blackhawk 41 is here in Nashville, street price, you can get that gun for about 500 bucks. So you're not like invested a, a big ton of money in like a Model 57 or something. So if you want one, just buy you a Blackhawk. way you can go play with it when you want, and you also will still have a 44 Magnum to do whatever you want with.
1: Um, obvious truck answer is Buy all of the guns.
0: Yes, buy all of them. Um, buy you should, all you the guns. Of yes, buy all of them. It's better to have you know a bunch rather than a few. You know that that's just the way it is.
1: Yeah. Buy all the guns. You want to forty? You know, buy a half dozen forty-four, half dozen forty-one mag, buy a half dozen three fifty-sevens. You know how a dozen. Yeah, well Probably not nearly enough. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but, you know, you are right. I mean, anything the 41 can do, the 44 does better. But I think you're also, you know, a lot of people are trying to push it into service that it was never designed for. It was designed as, you know, uh, a Western Midwest law enforcement cartridge. You know, it does really well hunting, but, you know, it has its limitations. The big limitation with a 41 Magnum is case capacity. You can only load it so damn hot. You know not like with a 357
1: yeah saying the 44 magnum will do it better might be duration but the 44 magnum will do everything 41 magnum will do and more because I can shoot heavier bullets out of it you know right so you know I like got I'm looking I'm looking in my in my reloading manual right now for. 170 grain bullets lighter so guess what I can shoot 180 grain bullets in my you know, 10 grains difference, but the heaviest bullet I am seeing for the 40 260 and I can buy ammo for the 40 340 grain and I've seen people hand loading up to 400 grain bullets out of it you know that it, it will do everything and then'll do more
0: yeah so you know for the layman for for the guys that guys and gals that aren't super savvy with ammo specs basically what it comes down to is the 41 magnum is a great cartridge but it lacks in two departments and that is bullet weight you can't go that heavy with the bullet weight and case capacity which is how much powder you can put in it until it's just you know overfilled so yeah, uh i would that, that's the two drawbacks to that cartridge
1: you know if it's a 41 magnum was popular i would take any day for a 357 i do like 350 38 special but i don't really care for three you know it's muzzle black barrel gun gaining that much you know i'm talking a two inch barrel gun short barrel gun gaining 357 over a 38 special where a three inch you know let's just say a three inch k-frame five shot 41 special that'd be a great gun you know for self-defense
0: oh absolutely yeah you listening smith and wesson quit being stingy bastards and give us a fucking mile 69 and 41 magnum come on
1: you know nick i just changed the um the ratings on this was it the clean i think i'm gonna have to change it back after this episode well, I,
0: you know, I'm sorry. I'm a mechanic.
1: You know? <laughs> I you know,
0: actually choked it up quite a bit.
1: I should have known mechanic, and I'm a heavy operator and mechanic. It, I should have known better to keep a clean show.
0: You know, what's bad <laughs> is uh, I quit drinking and smoking four years ago, so it only got better.
1: <laughs> I try really to keep. You know, but I grew up in a very Christian household. I try to keep my public like my figure um, somewhat PG rated. But yeah, if you ever met me in person, it's F this, F this, that, you know. It's, it's Yeah, I never, I never stop. And so,
0: well, I, know, I'm always trying to push the diversity of the word.
1: Hey, <laughs> you know, there's there's only there's, there's there's few words that can describe these user as many things words we use
0: yeah like high points and toruses that break
1: and <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah all right i think we gotta go ahead and just it up i'm sure you're probably and i've got things i gotta get done tonight as well but uh, it's good to get together again I wanted to uh, discuss some of our uh ideas for the uh and versus your infield but i just don't think we're gonna have time on this episode so well, let's do it yeah, later
0: this week. We'll do that later this week, and we'll uh, hopefully I'll have the model sixty six in by then, so we can maybe do an episode on more of the infield versus your MMP, and then you know because the model sixty six is a K frame too, so we'll, we'll we'll have like a K frame size service revolver That'd be
1: yeah, we can. I'll put up I'll put up model eighty five twenty against your model sixty six. There you go. There you go. I'm all in on that. Yeah. All right, Nick. Well, I think we can go ahead and wrap this one up. It was good talking with you again. All right. Good talking. Yep. All right. Thanks for tuning in today, everybody. Remember, you can find the Mountain Man Dan Show on Spotify as well as iTunes and Google Play. Be sure to check out our Facebook page and let us know if there's anything you'd like for us to discuss or if you have any tips or recommendations for the show. We'll see. We'll see you next time.